others on his behalf. It would be through the apostles' doctrine that the early church would learn to work and worship Almighty God. Now, when you look at John chapters 13 through 17, there are some important statements that are made that are a prelude to the coming of the kingdom of God that was established, as you well know, on Pentecost Day. And there are some words that are preparatory to the coming of that kingdom. So that being the case, listen now to what Jesus said in the shadow of the cross. And we talk about the importance of the teaching of Christ. And so in light of the cross, in the shadow of the cross, Jesus thought it was very important to stress the importance of our love for one another. And so in verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So let's just talk for a moment or two about this divine command. To love, to love one another as we sang about this morning. And the opportunity to serve a God of love. So number one, there is what I believe to be in this particular context, the demand to love. Again, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Let's just talk for a moment or two about the triangle of love. Now the Bible tells us in a very emphatic way in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that God is love. There's no one that can question the love of Almighty God. And God demonstrated that love by the sending of His only begotten Son. But you remember back in John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world. God is the very essence of of divine love, His love well documented throughout Scripture. I can't help but think about what Jeremiah said to the children of Israel centuries earlier when he said on behalf of God, I've loved you with an everlasting love. God has always loved. He will always be a being of love. So number one, you have the love of Almighty God, but then secondly, the love of Christ. To recognize that Jesus Himself manifested divine love. You remember in chapter 15 at verse 13, Jesus would say, Greater love has no one than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. Jesus went to the cross because He loved us. His love for us is reflected in His death on Calvary. So we have the love of God and the love of Christ. But then the Bible tells us that we are to love one another. Now we talk about this triangle of love. The fact that God's loved us, Christ has loved us. And you remember in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, John would say we love Him because He first loved us. It was Jesus who said, in Matthew chapter 22, that we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and great commandment. But then he linked to that a second very important command. 
He said we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so what Jesus is saying here is that we are to love God, yes, but we are also to love one another. So let me ask this question. How do you prove your love? What's the test of divine love? God's test of love demonstrated again at Calvary. Paul said, God who spared not His own Son. But Jesus would say in John chapter 14 at verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. In 1 John chapter 5 verse 3, John said, This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. His commandments are not burdensome or grievous. So we show our love to Almighty God by honoring His Word by trying to put into practice His teaching. And so here's Jesus. This is really a prelude to the cross. If you want to know how important loving one another is, it's found right here. In the shadow of the cross, Jesus thought enough of His body of believers, those who would be His disciples, to stress the importance of loving one another. So we demonstrate our love for the Lord by honoring His Word. You remember Jesus asked the question on one occasion in Luke 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? So again, we prove our love by demonstrating His commands in our life. Now there's a second thing I want to call your attention to. Number one, there is the demand to love. Jesus makes that abundantly clear. Secondly, however, there is the depth of love that Jesus discusses. Now go back again and look at our lesson text. When Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, did the Jews under the old covenant, under the Mosaic dispensation, have they ever been taught to love one another? Well, you can go back and read the law. They were instructed to demonstrate genuine love for one another. Now, in many ways, they marred those commands by adding traditions to them. But God has always demanded that His people love Him and that as His people, they love one another. So what Jesus is saying here is, I'm giving you a new command, that you love one another. Okay, Lord, what then is the newness of this command? that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So let's just pause there for a moment. Maybe put a peg down. What's the best way for us to learn how to love one another? Wouldn't you think it would be to look at the perfect example of love? I mean, is Jesus Christ not, again, the epitome of divine love? Now, we talked about God, His very essence is love, but the same could be said about the Christ. Jesus, again, said, Greater love has no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. So let's just talk about genuine love. Now, there were certain words that were used in the original to describe various types of love. Brotherly love. Family love. But in this context, Jesus is using the highest form of love. And so number one, 
There is the submissive love of the Lord. Why did Jesus go to Calvary? If somebody asks you this week at the office or at maybe a family get-together, if someone were to talk to you about the love of God and to simply ask you, why did Jesus go to the cross? Well, the reason is because it was God's will. And Jesus came to subordinate His will to the Father's will. In John 6, verse 38, Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Again, we're talking about Jesus in the shadow of the cross. In chapter 17, Jesus praying to the Father. One of the things that Jesus prayed about was unity among His believers. Unity would be achieved by following the apostles' doctrine and by loving one another, enjoying that fellowship that is to exist among His people. But that being said, the Lord would say in the shadow of the cross again, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you've given me to do. So number one, the love of Jesus was submissive to the Father. And so if we're going to learn how to love, then we've got to learn to be submissive. Matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, there's an interesting statement made about the love of God and the love that we're to have for God in Ephesians 5. Paul would say, walk in love as Christ also loved us. But you remember down in about verse 21 and following, he compares the headship of Christ and the church, or the headship of Christ over the church, to the headship of the husband over the wife. So Paul is simply saying that just as the church is subject to Christ, the wife is to be subject to her husband. And many times there's a lot of emphasis on that headship and that subordinate role. But if you look at verse 21, Paul prefaced all of that by saying, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of Christ. Before we ever talk about headship in the home, we need to understand that we are to be submissive to one another and that we are to live for the Lord. And if we love the Lord and live for the Lord and we're trying to do His will, then we're going to honor those divine roles and responsibilities. We're not going to subvert them, but rather we're going to try to honor them. And so there is there's this idea of love, the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ, and the fact that His love was submissive. But then secondly, not only was His love submissive, but it was selfless. Now you remember what Paul said in Philippians. Let me just pause here. Can you wrap your mind around the second member of the Godhead leaving the glory of heaven to come to sin-cursed earth? Why would he do that? Well, the reason he did it is because he thought enough of us and the Father to, as Paul said, empty himself. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 at verse 5 that Jesus emptied Himself, listen to Him, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, 
And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. There's that idea of submission. But he died on the cross because he was selfless. He put the interest of others above himself. So here you have the Lord Jesus Christ in recognition of what the cross would mean to us. So as His people, number one, we've got to learn to be submissive to demonstrate that kind of love. And then there is this selfless love. We put the interest and wants of others before ourselves. Now the society we live in runs counter to that. The world says it's all about me. The world says I'm going to live a self-centered life. The Bible teaches the exact opposite. And so when we talk about loving one another, there are certain things that we do as children of God. The reason is because we're submissive, subordinate to the will of God, and then we understand that it's not just about us. It's about the Lord and His Word and trying to live acceptably before Him. Jesus would say one of the prerequisites to coming to Him, self-denial. The emptying of self. Jesus said, if any man will come unto me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There's denial, and then there's a death. The cross signified death. So we're dying to self again. Third, very important point. When you go back and look at Jesus... He demonstrated submissive love, selfless love, but also sacrificial love. In other words, Jesus, again, put the interest of others before Himself. Over and over again, the Bible talks about the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. The golden text of the Bible, I think, says it very clearly. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, what about this sacrifice? Listen to Paul, 2 Corinthians 5. Him who knew no sin, He became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You remember Peter? When Peter said that Christ has left us an example that we should follow in His steps? who did no sin, neither was God to seek found in his mouth, who when he suffered threatened not, when he was reviled, he reviled not again, but rather he bore our sins in his body on the cross. That's sacrifice. So as children of God, if we're going to be a cohesive body of believers... We have to view ourselves as people who are submissive, who are selfless, and who are willing to make sacrifices for the greater good of the cause. Now there's a third thought here I want to share with you. This really accentuates the application of what Jesus is saying. So there is the demand to love, the depth of love, but then note, if you would, the demonstration of love. Now listen again to what Jesus said. 
Let's look again at what the Lord said. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now look at verse 35. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So number one, what Jesus is saying is that we are to be a picture of divine love. When people see you, wherever you may go, whatever you may do in life, they need to see you as a child of God who is picturing the essence of Christianity. What is that? It's love. How many times have you heard it said, a picture is worth a thousand words? Sometimes it's not necessarily what we say, but rather it is what we do. The proof is in the pudding, isn't it? So when it comes to picturing divine love, Jesus is saying, look, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. What are you saying, Lord? He's saying that people are going to have their eyes on us. They're going to be watching us, how we live, how we interact with one another, how we treat one another, how we talk to one another, how we serve one another. All of this shows who we are and whose we are. We belong to the Lord. When you think about what the Bible teaches concerning those of us who belong to Christ, the Bible accentuates our relationship to Christ, our riches in Christ, our royalty in Christ, and our reservations in Christ, which is heaven. So my question to you, when people see you out in the community, do they see a picture of divine love? Do they see Christ living in you? I mean, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's Christ living in you. All right? How then do we practice? How do we practice divine love? Well, you know, if you want to know something about love and practicing love, then you need to go to the master teacher himself. If you want to know something about true, genuine love, you need to look at Jesus. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 2 at verse 9, but now we see Jesus. We've got to have our eyes focused on the Lord. Why? Because He can teach us something about loving one another. Number one, when we genuinely love one another, we share with one another. In Matthew 25, you remember when Jesus pictured that great and final day of judgment? And he said that he would turn to those on the right hand and he would say explicitly to them, I was hungry and what'd you do? He said, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. He said, I was naked and you clothed me. I was a stranger and you took me in. Second in prison, what'd you do? You visited me. Here are Christians that have gone beyond the borders of simply worshiping on the first day of the week. They're putting Christianity into action. Well, how so? By serving one another. Giving of themselves to one another. 
So we share with one another. Secondly, we care for one another. It's often been said that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15, I want you to listen to what Paul said to the saints in Rome. Paul said that we rejoice with them that rejoice, but we weep with those who weep. In other words, we really care about one another. Over the years, I have seen this congregation rally around families when they've lost loved ones. I've seen people weep with those who are weeping, hurt with those who are hurting. Why? It's because we're in the same family and because we love one another. So we share with one another, we care for one another. But then there's a third thought, and that is we restore one another. What happens when a sheep goes astray? Are we to just write him or her off and say, well, they really don't matter, I mean, just one? No, read Luke 15, the shepherd and the sheep. That one sheep, incredibly important. Why? Because that one sheep represents a human soul, an eternal soul. So in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul talks about those who are overtaken in a fault. And he said, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Why do we go to great lengths to try to bring a fellow member of the body of Christ back? Well, number one, because the Lord wants us to. And number two, because the Lord loves that person. And number three, because as His children, we are to love that person. We love them in a selfless, sacrificial way, don't we? And we're willing to spend our time, our efforts, and our energy to try to get that person back to where they need to be. Because if they're not brought back, they're going to be lost. And so we have to love one another. In that same opening in Galatians chapter 6, Paul said not only do we restore one another, but he said we are to encourage one another. And we could tie this back to Romans 12, 15. But Paul said to the saints in Galatia, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Do you, do you see yourself as a burden bearer? You think there are people in the church, think there are people in this community that are hurting? That have been weighed down by the burdens of life? What are we supposed to do? Just stand to the side and let them try to work it out on their own, handle it on their own? No, Paul said, you need to learn to bear one another's burdens. In so doing, he said, you fulfill the law of Christ. Now go back and look at the life of Christ. Do you not see Jesus time and again alleviating the burdens of people? You could just make a study in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John sometime of the compassionate nature of Jesus and how he was always trying to lift up the human family. Many times Jesus would reach across what we might say to be party lines. Jesus reached out to the unlovable. He touched the untouchable. 
He was willing to cross certain social barriers. Why? Because he recognized there was something special about them. Now, did he come to alleviate the suffering of people? Yes, but more importantly, he came to alleviate spiritual suffering by dying on the cross. And then there's another thought. Because we are God's people, we pray for one another. In James 5, 16, James said, pray one for another. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at, Th at Thessalonica, Paul said, brethren, pray for us. Paul was an inspired apostle. But he knew something about the privilege of prayer, the power of prayer, and so he's asking these people who are members of the body of Christ, the same body that he's in, he's asking them to lift his name up before the throne of Almighty God. Have there been times in your life when you have been hurting, crushed, when you're just doing your best to get out of bed and make it day by day? Somebody comes up to you and they tell you, I know to some extent what you're going through, and I want you to know I'm praying for you. Does that encourage you? Does it help you? To know that they're lifting your name before the Father. And again, the Bible says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So we have the privilege of praying for one another. And that's a beautiful thing. But then there's a final thought, and that is we are to forgive one another. Now again, talk's cheap. Jesus stressed the importance of our love for one another. And Jesus said in the long ago, if you want to know what a Christian looks like, John 13, 34, and 35, that's it. Here's somebody who is wearing his or her badge of discipleship. That badge is divine love. And so, we think about all the great blessings that we have in Christ, one of which is we're forgiven people, aren't we? And didn't the Hebrew writer say, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, their sins and iniquities, I will remember no more? So what happens when we get crossways with a brother or sister? When, when we're not necessarily seeing things eye to eye, do we have a remedy? Matthew chapter 5 tells us that if we're before the altar and they remember that our brother has all against us, then we go and reconcile ourselves to that brother, and then we offer the gift. Matthew 18, Jesus said, if someone has offended you, or if someone has transgressed against you, sinned against you, then you go and tell that brother or sister what he or she has done privately. If they don't listen, then you take a couple of witnesses. If that doesn't work, then you take it before the church. The point, however, is we're working toward reconciliation. And the goal is to be a forgiving people. Now, you know, when a person becomes a child of God, sometimes old habits die hard, don't they? I have no doubt that some of those who obeyed the gospel in the first century might have been very good at holding grudges, withholding forgiveness. So when Paul contrasted that old man and new man in Christ in Ephesians 4, 
He said, I want you to put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, loud quarreling, evil speaking with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Listen, if we want to be forgiven by Almighty God, then we need to learn to forgive one another. If as a body of believers, this is true locally, it's true universally. If we have this proverbial axe to grind with people and we're not trying to work it out, and rather than demonstrating genuine heartfelt love, we are, we are manifesting animosity. That says something to the world. Let me tell you what. The world has the ability to size us up more than we think. They know what we stand for, and they know the one for whom we stand. So when people look at you, do they see in your life a Christian who loves as Jesus taught? That's what it's all about. To love one another. You know, it was John who said, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So we love one another. Why? Because that's what the Lord wants. There is enough hate and jealousy and prejudice in this world. People have had enough of that stuff, and they sure don't need it in the church. I thank you to each and every one who demonstrates genuine biblical love. And Jesus is saying, listen, number one, we're to picture it, and number two, we are to practice it. Not always easy, but that's the goal. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, to remind, to remind you that God loves you. You know, in Romans chapter 5, Paul said, When we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. In verse 8, he said, But God commends His own love toward us, demonstrates His love toward us. How? Well, Christ died for our sins. So if you have never obeyed the gospel, I encourage you to think about doing that right now. Put your faith in Jesus, the Son of God. Willingly repent, walk away from the ways of the world. Paul said that God commands all men everywhere to repent, Acts 17.30. And the reason is because there's a coming day of judgment, Acts 17.31. And then to confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, Jesus, the Son of God. The Bible tells us then we're to be baptized into Christ so that we might be saved, Mark 16, 16. So that our sins might be washed away, Acts 22, 16. God will put us in the church. The exhortation then is to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. If you're here this morning, maybe your life's not what it ought to be. Maybe you lack some of the qualities that the Bible talks about in terms of how we're to live as a Christian. And you would like those of us who belong to the church here to pray on your behalf, to pray with you. We would be honored to do so. Won't you come as we stand and sing?